There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to episode 64 of the Digital Freemason Podcast. For the week of October 8th, 2007, I'm your host, Scott, and I'm going to be taking you along on another excellent adventure through the world of short and sonic educational papers. So we're up to, what, week three of of the new website, and uh, everything seems to be going really well with that. I'm getting some pointers from uh, some of the brothers I've met on the web as to how to make some improvements, so I'll be chipping away at that here for a bit. You can now actually uh, take a look at it on your mobile device or your cell phone or if you have a PDA that uh, can surf mobilely, I guess if that's a word. It's the uh, same web web address as always, but uh, just formats it and pulls out a lot of the crap. So give that a shot if uh, if you are mobile. And I guess one of the other things is to let me know how that goes, seeing as I'm limited in the uh, mobile devices that I have. So last week's uh, cry as to have someone come and sign my guest book has been answered. Now I feel a little bit bad that maybe people were only signing the guest book because uh, I was crying that that I had no friends in the uh, digital Masonic world, but I doubt that's the case. I'm glad you guys have stopped by and actually uh, linked up with a couple of you, so I still have to send out some thanks on that, and I will, but big thanks comes to um, a couple of the other people that uh, have been helping out to some degree is um, I'd like to thank uh, Antonio and Brian for making some donations to the uh, to the podcast coffer, so to speak, and I greatly appreciate that. And uh, was a little bit surprised I actually got some donations. So, so thank you very much again, Antonio and Brian. And uh, I will be putting that to good use and making sure that uh, keep the website up and running. So this week's episode is actually uh, sort of a build off on a. Uh, presentation that our district deputy grandmaster um, did last year when I was uh, his secretary and he talked in length about the um, the landmarks of Freemasonry and I can remember as I was growing up I was always wondering well where are these landmarks and well they're not really there well how can you have landmarks and not have them published somewhere so he did this piece and um, well not this one in particular but um, talked about all of uh, Mackay's or Mackay's, depending on I guess which part, part of the pond you come from, um, his his idea on the landmarks and says it's the most exhaustive list and there's other lists that have more or less on it. But one of the ones that sort of really piqued my interest and made me do some uh, digging around was uh, the Grand Master's ability to do Master Masons at sight. So getting on with that here, here's uh, a piece that I grabbed on uh, making Masons at sight. The prerogative of the Grand Master to make Freemasons at sight is described as the eighth landmark in the order. It is a technical term, which may be defined to be the power to initiate, pass, and raise candidates by the Grand Master in a lodge of emergency, or, as it is called in the Book of Constitutions, an occasional lodge, specifically convened by him, and consisting of such Master Masons as he may call together for that purpose only the lodge ceasing to exist as soon as the initiation, passing, or raising has been accomplished, and the brethren have been dismissed by the Grand Master. This following item appeared in the Leeds Mercury in April of 1730 and bore the heading of London. A few days since 
their graces the Duke of Richmond and Montague, accompanied by several gentlemen, who were all free and accepted masons, according to ancient customs, formed a lodge upon the top of a hill near the Duke of Richmond's seat at Goodwood in Sussex, and made the right honourable the Lord Baltimore a free and accepted mason. But it is right to say that this doctrine is not universally received as established by the law of the craft. Brother Mackay did not think, however, that this was ever in dispute until within a comparatively recent period. It is true that Brother Cole, as far as back as 1817, remarked in reference to the custom in the, in the United States that it was a great stretch of power not recognized, or at least, he believed, not practiced in this country. But the qualifying phrases in this sentence clearly showed that he had by no means certainty that he was correct in denying the recognition of this right. Brother Cole, however, would hardly be considered a competent authority on the question of Masonic law, as he was evidently unacquainted with the book Constitutions, and does not quote or refer to it throughout his voluminous work. In the Book of Constitutions, however, several instances are furnished on the exercise of this right by various Grand Masters. In 1731, Lord Lovell, being Grand Master, he had formed an occasional lodge on Houghton Hill, Sir Robert Walpole's house in Norfolk, and there he made the Duke of Lorraine, afterwards Emperor of Germany, and the Duke of Newcastle, Master Masons. We do not know the case of the initiation, passing, or racing of Frederick, Prince of Wales in 1737, which was also done in an occasional lodge, over which Dr. de Saulier presided, because, as de Saulier was not the Grand Master, nor even, as he has been incorrectly stated by the New York Committee of Correspondence, Deputy Grand Master, but only a past Grand Master, he cannot be called a making at sight. He probably acted under dispensation of the Grand Master, who, at the time, was the Earl of Darnley. In 1766, Lord Blaney, who was then Grand Master, convened an occasional lodge and initiated, passed, and raised the Duke of Gloucester. And again in 1767, John Salter, the deputy, then acting as Grand Master, convened an occasional lodge and conferred three degrees on the Duke of Cumberland. In 1787, the Prince of Wales was made a Freemason and an occasional lodge convened, says Brother Preston, for the purposes at the Star and Garter, Paul Mall, over which the Duke of Cumberland, Grand Master, presided in person. It has been said, however, by those who deny the existence of this prerogative, that these occasional lodges were only special communications of Grand Lodge, and the makings are thus supposed to have been taken place under the authority of that body, and not the Grand Master. The facts, however, do not sustain this position. Throughout the Book of Constitutions, other meetings, whether regular or special, are distinctively recorded as meetings of the Grand Lodge, while these occasional lodges appear only to have been convened by the Grand Master for the purpose of making Freemasons. Besides, in many instances, the lodge was held at a different place from that of the Grand Lodge, and that the officers were not, with the exception of the Grand Master, the officers of the Grand Lodge. Thus, the occasional lodge which initiated the Duke of Lorraine was held at the residence of Sir Robert Walpole in Norfolk, while the Grand Lodge always met in London. In 1766, the Grand Lodge held its communications at the Crown and Anchor, but the, but the occasional lodge, which in the same year conferred the degrees on the Duke of Gloucester, was convened at the Horn Tavern. 
In the following year, the lodge which initiated the Duke of Cumberland was convened at the Thatched House Tavern. The Grand Lodge continued to meet at the Crown and Anchor. But Dr. Mackay also held that a conclusive argument was in reason. That being, that drawn from the dispensing power of the Grand Master, which has never been denied. No one has ever doubted, or can doubt, the inherent right of a Grand Master to constitute lodges by dispensation, and in these lodges so constituted, Freemasons may be legally entered, passed, and raised. This is done every day. Seven Master Masons applying to the Grand Master, he can grant them the dispensation under authority of which they proceed to open and hold a lodge and to make Freemasons. This lodge, however, admitted to be a mere creator, creature of the Grand Master, for it is therefore his power at any time to revoke the dispensation he has granted and thus dissolve the lodge. But if the Grand Master had the power to enable others to confer degrees and make Freemasons, by his individual authority out of his presence, are we not permitted to argue at all? that he is also has a right to congregate seven brethren and cause Freemasons to be made at his sight? Can he delegate the power to others which he does not himself possess? As is calling together an occasional lodge and making, with the assistance of the brethren thus assembled, a Freemason at sight, this is to say, in his presence, anything more or less would then, would then be an exercise of him dispensing his power for the establishment of a lodge under dispensation for a temporary period of time, and for a very special purpose. The purpose having been effected, and the Freemason having been made, he revokes the, his dispensation, and the lodge is dismissed. If we assume any other ground than this, we should be compelled to say that though the Grand Master might authorize others to make Freemasons when he is absent, he cannot do it himself when present. The form of the expression, making a Mason at sight, is borrowed from Lawrence Dermot, the Grand Secretary of the Atal Grand Lodge, where he says, making masons in an occasional lodge, which is a phrase used by Anderson and his subsequent editors. Brother Dermot, commenting on the 13th of, our, of the old regulations, which prescribes that fellow crafts and master masons cannot be made in a private lodge, except by dispensation of the Grand Master, and he says, this is a very ancient regulation, but seldom put into practice. New masons, being generally made at private lodges, However, the right worshipful Grand Master has full power and authority to make or cause to be made in his worship's presence. Free and accepted Masons at sight, and such making is good. But they cannot be made out of his worship's presence without a written dispensation for that purpose. Nor can his worship oblige any warranted lodge to receive the person so made, if the members should declare against him or them. But in such cases the right worshipful Grand Master may grant them a warrant and form them in a new lodge. But the fact that Brother Dermot uses the phrase does not militate against its existence of the prerogative, nor weaken the argument in its favor. For, in the first place, he has quoted it as an authority, and secondly, it is very possible that he did not invent the expression, but found it already existing as a technical phrase generally used by the craft although not to be found in the Book of Constitutions. The form there used is making masons in an occasional lodge, which, as we have already said, is of the same signification. The mode of exercise in this prerogative is this. The Grand Master summons to his assistance not less than six other Freemasons. 
convenes a lodge, and without any previous probation, but on sight of the candidate, confers the degrees upon him, after which he dissolves the lodge and dismisses the brethren. This custom of making Freemasons at sight has been practiced by many Grand Lodges in the United States, but is becoming less usual, and some Grand Lodges have prohibited it by a constitutional enactment. A few noted cases were mentioned. John Wanamaker at Philadelphia, former Vice President Charles Fairbanks at Indianapolis, Rear Admiral Winifred Shilley at Washington, and when Howard, William Howard Taft was President-elect, he was made a Freemason at sight in February of 1909 in Cincinnati by the Grand Master of Ohio. A valuable historical account of the Master Masons at sight was contributed to New Age in March 1925 by Brother William Bowden, librarian at Washington of the Supreme Council, Southern Jurisdiction, of the ancient accepted Scottish Rite. So there it is, what it takes to make a Master Mason at sight. I'd, uh, before I had done some digging into this, I'd always thought that it was just, uh, you could just point at a guy and go, hey, Master Mason, and sort of tap him on the shoulder or whatever it is. But actually there's some, a little bit of work that needs to go into it. So I don't know if your, uh, your Grand Lodge allows the Grand Master to make Masons at sight, but I've not heard of it being done in Alberta, but you know, I'm only four, what, four or five years into the craft, so it could be something new. But I'm going to do some more poking around on this and see if this is something that uh, our Grand Master can do. I guess this is one of those good reasons why a person should uh, read through the bylaws and regulations of, uh, of your Grand Lodge to see if that is applicable. So eh, I guess i got some light reading for me for the next week. Anyway, I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our time together. And as always, swing by the, uh, the website, triple dub the digital freemason.com or you can email me at podcast at the digital freemason.com and if you've got any comments or other ideas in regards to podcast i'd love to hear from you so until next time keep the shiny side up